gospel at work, grace for a man in his vocation. Uh, Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And while we're turning there, I I wanted to thank you all for making this time together uh, a priority. Um, Thank you for sacrificing your your Saturday morning to come hear from God's word on the topic of work. I pray that the Spirit would encourage your heart this morning as we explore a theology that affects your calling and my calling as a worker. Let's pray for his grace, and then we'll turn our attention to his word. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the opportunity to gather as men to gather as men who you have called to be workers. Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts during this time, that um, you would confront our hearts and that you would motivate our hearts um, with your gospel uh, so that your name would be, would be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our topic this morning is the gospel at work, and by work, I, I mean for us to consider a paid labor or, or occupation, so not necessarily yard work or, or house chores, though applications from, from those tasks um, can, can certainly be derived from this talk, um, or if you're a student, I, I want us to consider this topic in light of your, in light of your schoolwork. So with that said, Let's look at Ecclesiastes 3. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 13. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Have you ever considered that work is a gift? Twice in this passage, we see that work is a gift from God. In order for us to have a gospel-informed understanding of work, our theology of work must first begin with the giver of work. A.W. Tozer in The Knowledge of the Holy Rites, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Tozer goes on to write that the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. And Wes touched on this this past Sunday, too. It matters what we think about God. So, brothers, what comes to your mind when you think about the giver of work? There are two truths I want us to consider this morning when we think about the giver of work. The first is that God is a worker. And the second is that we, as God's image bearers, are workers. 
So first, God is a worker. You know, we, we cannot get through the first chapter of Genesis without seeing that God is a worker. Through his creative work, God brings order to chaos. Like when, when he separates the waters from above the earth, from, from below the earth, we see him take creation from a lesser development to a greater development. Like when he developed the land he created by planting a garden for Adam and Eve to enjoy. We see him planning and vision casting, like when he determined that man would be made in his image. We see him governing his creation by establishing laws that guard and protect his people. We see him analyzing and assessing, like when he pronounced that it is not good for man to be alone. And when what he said about creating after he created everything is that it was very good. Genesis 2.2 states that he finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God is a worker. Yet God is still at work, isn't he? You know, here's just a, a sampling from, from scripture that highlights this. Um, John 17.4, we see that Jesus was at work while on earth. He says, um, in, in his, his prayer to God, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, William Temple, in his book, Christianity and the Social Order, he writes, look at the Bible, creation, consummation, incarnation, resurrection. What do they all have in common? God with his hands in the dirt. The giver of work is a worker. But not only is God a worker, we as God's image bearers are workers. As his image bearers, we're called to worship the giver of work through this gift of work. Wayne Grudem in his book, Business for the Glory of God, writes, God created us so that we would imitate him and so that he could look at us and see something of his wonderful attributes reflected in us. In Genesis 1.27, we read that God created man in his image. This means that man was created to make much of God by imitating or reflecting to the world what he is like. And the gift of work is an opportunity for us to do that. As the creation narrative continues in Genesis 1.28 and in, chapters two, in chapter 2, verse 15, we see God giving the gift of work to man by giving him the responsibility for subduing the earth, having dominion over the earth, working the earth, and keeping the earth. Why? To bring him glory. You see, our work is intended to be an act of worship. So keep your finger in Ecclesiastes and turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we'll consider verses 1 
and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our spiritual worship isn't just worshiping the Lord with the the fruits of our work by, by putting a check in the offering plate. We also worship the Lord through the act of work. We're, we're living sacrifices. We are, we are worshipers. And everything we do with our bodies, including work, should be an act of worship. Verse 2 teaches us that our minds are being transformed so we might discern God's will and know what is good and acceptable and perfect. And if we were to continue reading in this passage, we would see that Paul goes on to describe that simply knowing is not enough because that Knowing must lead to doing. It leads to working. And this working makes much of God. This working is an act of worship. So let's consider further how our work is an act of worship. Work is not just about serving God alone, but serving God by loving others. So as we talked about earlier, we we make much of God as his image bearers when we imitate or reflect his character and his attributes. Workers are a means by which God exercises his care, provision, protection, order, governance, healing, and help to the world. God is working through the worker. He is working through you to serve others. Here's just a few examples of how we imitate God and serve others through our work. Um, And as we work through this list, please keep in mind that the aspects of work we talked about when describing God's work during creation. So God continues to bring order to chaos through workers who are landscaping yards equipping employees to be more efficient, debugging code, inventorying cars, or populating spreadsheets. He brings his creation from a lesser development to a greater development when we as workers farm land or are involved with city planning initiatives, or when we as workers instruct students about the fundamentals of language when teaching a Latin class, or when we explain the usefulness of the Pythagorean theorem. We imitate him in forethought and planning when we forecast, plan budgets, and cast a vision for our companies to become more cost competitive. We reflect his wisdom when we analyze the financial market and make assessments on investments for making wise financial planning decisions as an extension of how God might choose to provide for a child's education or an employee, an employee, um, an employee's retirement. We care for the sick and hurting or conduct 
wellness examinations um, as doctors, nurses, chiropractors, physical therapists, because God is at work through these workers to bring healing. We write legislation as a lobbyist or we write traffic tickets as a police officer because both serve as a means of carrying out God's safety and protection. We build and repair durable roofs as a means God uses to provide shelter. We repair HVAC systems as a means God uses to provide relief from the Texas heat. We gas up delivery trucks as a means God uses to provide goods and supplies to individuals and businesses. Our work is an act of worship because it makes much of God's character and attributes and is one of the ways he chooses to provide for others. So what comes to your mind when you think about how your work is an expression of worship to God? And and before we move on uh, to this next point, I I think it's, it's extremely important to say that your work as a layman or a non-pastor is just as important as the work of a pastor. We, we cannot divorce our work life from our spiritual life. Work is not just something a Christian does to pay the bill, bills so that real ministry can take place. So please put off the lie that says that the only work that's pleasing to God is full-time vocational ministry. This couldn't be further from the truth. As an image bearer, my identity must be defined as a worshiper of Christ and not by my occupation. I'm first a worshiper of Christ before I'm a financial analyst. And this truth helps me to combat against the lie of discontentment that says, you know, I should be doing something else like being a pastor or being a missionary, though the Lord may one day call me to that vocation. For this season, he has chosen to call me as a financial analyst. But he has first and foremost called me as a worshiper. And as long as I'm using the skills and abilities he's given me for his glory, my work as a financial analyst is not worth any less than the work of a pastor. Dorothy Sayers in her essay, why work writes it is the business of the church to recognize that the secular vocation as such is sacred christian people and particularly perhaps the christian clergy must get it firmly into their heads that when a man or woman is called to a particular job of secular work that is as true a vocation as though he or she were called to specifically religious work. Gene Veith echoes this in his book, God at Work, when he writes, the priesthood of all believers did not make everyone into church workers. Rather, it turned every kind of work into a sacred calling. The work God has called you to do is a sacred calling because it's an opportunity for you to worship God and serve others with your work. The good of work. Let's return our passage in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes and talk about the good of work. 
We see God's sovereignty and, and providence expressed in verse 11, and, and I want us to come back to that, but let's first look at verse 12 where we see that we are called to be joyful and do good as long as we live. Work is an opportunity for us to do good. But what does it mean to do good? It, isn't this also the, the question we ask in Romans 12? What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Uh, thankfully, Paul goes on to give some practical ways this should look in our lives. In, in the midst of this exhortation in, in Romans 12, verse 9, he says, Let love be genuine. This love is, is not just an expression of love to God. It's also an expression of love toward others. I continue to be encouraged by Brett's ministry to us. And, and what comes to mind in, in thinking about this topic is that our work is an expression of love. Work, work is a way for us to love our neighbors. During our series on 1 Corinthians, Brett gave us the following definition of love. True Christian love is a genuine affection for another's ultimate good in God, such that we spend ourselves sacrificially to see them obtain that good. Isn't that what Jesus did? Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This, this notion of being a servant can help us pursue humility in our work and, and put off the entitlement mentality. We talked about our work serving the Lord because it's an act of worship, but work is also an opportunity to love and serve our coworkers by helping them do their work well, to, to love and serve our customers by providing quality goods and services, and, and to love and serve our families by providing for their needs. Gene Veith writes, the purpose of vocation is to love and serve one's neighbor. This is the test, the criterion and the guide for how to live out each and every vocation anyone can be called to. How does my calling serve my neighbor? Who are my neighbors in my particular vocation and how can I serve them with the love of God? competence. The good of work is to fulfill this call of love to others in our work. So we're going to tease this out a little bit more. The, the good of work is to do our work with competence. Tim Keller, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, writes, one of the main ways that you love others in your work is through the ministry of competence. We also see this in Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine, which states, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Are you competent in the work that God has called you to? Are you doing your work heartily, as Colossians three twenty-three exhorts? Dorothy Sayers writes, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk 
and disorderly in his leisure hours, and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Church, by all means, and decent forms of amusement, certainly. But what use is all that if in the very center of his life and occupation, he is insulting God with bad carpentry? No crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare swear, came out of the carpenter's shop in Nazareth. Nor if they did, could anyone believe that they were made by the same hand that made heaven and earth. Competence in our work is important. What are you doing in order to become more competent in your work? In humility, do you pursue your work as a learner? Are, are you seeking out other employees or other departments to grow in your skills? as a worker? Are you pursuing projects, certifications, or, or coursework that would enhance your knowledge, skills, and abilities to grow you as a more competent worker? Uh, some practical ways to pursue this might be volunteering for special projects at work, reading um, good books, I would say, with a gospel lens on leadership or subscribing to leadership blogs like Matt Perman's What's Best Next, setting your Google alerts to receive industry news, taking further education courses to become more proficient in the field, or meeting with older men from our church to learn from their experiences. Are you, as Matt Perman asks, making yourself more useful for others. This is a way that we can love others and promote the good of work. Let's talk about faithfulness. The good of work not only involves competence, it also calls for faithfulness. What does it look like for you to be faithful in what the Lord has called you to pursue? J.I. Packer, in A Passion for Faithfulness, writes that faithfulness is an unflinching fidelity to the particular tasks and roles we know we have been given to fulfill, all for the honoring and pleasing of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know that because of God's wisdom and sovereignty, He's called you in this season and in this time to your current vocation. Or, or maybe you're here today and you've been out of work for some time now, and, and your current vocation is finding a vocation. Or maybe as a student, uh, you're, you're called to this concentrated season of growing your knowledge, skills, and abilities through your diligent study. What does it look like for you to be faithful to this calling? What does it look like to honor and please the persons of the Trinity with your actions while on the clock, with your words to your managers, coworkers, or employees, your 
thoughts about particular responsibilities, your attention in the classroom. Are you being faithful in your work? But let's not try to pursue faithfulness alone. You see, faithfulness is a community project. Who are you inviting into your life to help you pursue faithfulness? Who are you being open and honest with in your current situation, your struggles and your successes? The good of work requires faithfulness. And now for the grace for work. We've looked at the giver of work and the good of work. And I'd like for us in these last few minutes to consider God's grace for work. Maybe you're here today and all you see when thinking about your work is sweat and thorns, as Brett so aptly said a few weeks ago. Looking back to Genesis, we see that work was not a result of the fall, but the results of the fall brought toil and hardship to our work. At the fall, sin entered the world. And and with sin, the man's motivation was selfishly twisted to make much of himself instead of his creator. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what a man has and does perverts the motivation for work. And, And if a darkened heart weren't egregious enough, the whole earth was subjected to futility, as Romans talks about. And thorns and thistles, toil and sweat, cursed the now marred image bearer in his work. Work is hard. And the difficulties of work can leave us joyless and discouraged. Maybe you're discontent in the work that God has called you to. Maybe at at this point in your life you thought you'd be doing something different. Maybe you're believing the lie that because you aren't pursuing your vocational ministry dream, that God isn't pleased with you or that your work doesn't matter. Maybe you read this passage in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes and are asking yourself, where's the joy? Maybe you're questioning God's goodness in the work he's called you to. Or maybe you're questioning his promises or, or his wisdom. Perhaps you're working for a boss who's unreasonable, or or maybe you were recently passed over for a promotion. Or maybe you're here and and are convicted because you haven't been pursuing your work as an opportunity to love and serve others. Maybe your work is characterized by self-serving motives and taking advantage of your neighbors. Or maybe it's characterized by laziness or, or, or complacency. Brothers, might I encourage you that there is grace, forgiveness, and hope in the gospel for each and every one of you, regardless of your situation. The, the truths of the gospel can meet us in specific ways, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. And though the intent now is, is not to specifically address each of these circumstances, I, I would like for us to consider the following implications of the gospel as it relates to our work. And and I pray that these comforts of the gospel will give us fresh motivation to pursue the call 
of the gospel to pursue competence and faithfulness in our work as we seek to glorify the Lord in our work. But as we consider these implications, be thinking about how you can serve as an encouragement to someone else or or how you might invite others into your life as a means of encouragement for you in your specific calling. So first, the giver of work is not unfamiliar with your struggles in work. The gospel is the good news that the creator came to earth and became the perfect image bearer. He then took the punishment we deserved upon himself so that we might be redeemed. And as the resurrected Savior, he, came, he gave us a new heart so that we as redeemed image bearers might worship and serve him like we were created to do. Jesus was tempted in his work to pursue selfish gain, yet remained faithful to God's plan and promises, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus set an example for us of serving others when he, when he the creator in humility, washed the feet of those he created, John chapter 13. Jesus experienced the toil of work in disciples who continually doubted, yet he remained patient and loving, John chapter 20. Jesus recognized the hardship of God's calling when he prayed for the cup of God's wrath to be taken from him, yet he remained faithful and drank every last drop so that you might experience forgiveness and life, Matthew 26. Jesus pursued the work he was called to do with competence as evidenced by God raising him from the dead, See John 17, verse 4, and Acts chapter 13. And Jesus is still at work, living to make intercession for you as your mediator. Hebrews 4, and chapter 7, verse 25. But not only is the giver of work familiar with your struggles, his good work is redeeming the worker. God is after our hearts. The giver of work is, is, not, is at work not only to transform your work for his good pleasure, but he's also at work to transform you, your will, your heart, your motivations, your attitudes. See Philippians 2.13. His desires, he desires your joy and satisfaction to be found in him and then declared to your neighbors and to the nations. How are your struggles at work an opportunity for dependence upon him? How how is the prosperity he's granting you an opportunity for obedience to him in advancing his kingdom? What does it look like to take the next small step of faith and respond with patience when you're computer program isn't working like it should, or when your boss asks you to complete a task you do not like doing, or your lazy co-worker gets the promotion you were hoping for. What does a faith-filled response look like in these moments? His good work is redeeming the worker. Let's look back at our passage again to Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. 
There it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. And he really has made everything beautiful in his time. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 states, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. We can take joy in our work because his work is a work of redemption. He's a savior who's familiar with your struggles and a savior who is at work using your work to make you more like himself. We serve a sovereign God who is at work in ways we currently do not see and has promised those who trust in him an eternal inheritance. We, we not only look forward to the beautiful work he is presently doing in our hearts, but we look forward to the time when he makes all things new, when he makes all things beautiful. Revelation 21, 4 and 5 says, He who was seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. At this sovereignly appointed time when we are glorified and in heaven with him, all things will ultimately be made beautiful. We will continue to work, but that work will be free from toil, free from pain, and free from fruitlessness. Our work will no longer be ravaged by the curse of sin. Brothers, may these truths fill us with joy and motivate us to pursue competence and faithfulness in the sacred calling of work that God has called us to do now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how kind of you to, to give us the gift of work. How kind of you to give us this opportunity to, to, to worship you, to make much of you with, with this gift. Father, we, we, we ask that you would forgive us in, for, for ways we have fallen short from, from worshiping you in our work. Please, please forgive us for, for our, our, our laziness or our complacency or um, our ways where we have complained or, or grumbled. Father, we ask that you would, you would, you would help us by your spirit to, to, to grow in, in, in competence in the work that you've given us and that by your spirit you would help us to, to be faithful in the work that you have, you have given us. Please, please do the work that only you can do in bringing conviction and encouragement to our hearts as we pursue this gift of work that you have given us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.